Well, it's good to see you guys. Uh, we're glad you're here. Uh, my name is Brandon Castle. I'm actually the worship director here at Matthias. And um, uh, just get a unique opportunity tonight. Uh, obviously not Mark Sigma. Uh, he is out on vacation. It totally stinks where he's at. He's with his wife, Heidi, in Riviera Maya, Mexico. So it's just terrible. Um, so, yeah, I know, dude, for real. Um, but I'm just really glad to be here with you. Um, it's exciting. Um, I've been the, the worship director here for about the past nine, ten months. And, um, man, it's just such a privilege being with you guys week in and week out, corporately worshiping with you. It's just, I really can't, and I don't want this to sound schmoozy or cheesy, but I love you guys, and it's, it's just wonderful to be here with you. So um, I'm going to level with you here. I'm not Mark Sigma. I'm not Mark Sigma, and I don't, I don't preach like Mark. I don't, I don't say things like Mark. I don't have some elaborate song and dance for you that's going to grab your attention. Um, but just as your worship leader, I want to go over a passage tonight that, that sheds some light on our methodology on how we worship and why we worship and the fruits of worship. And so we're going to study a passage tonight. It's in the book of Matthew. If you don't have your Bible, uh, there are some Bibles back by the window, so I would encourage you to get one. I would encourage you to take notes. Um, this is going to be more of a teaching than, than me just sitting up here and screaming stuff at you. I'm going to need two things from you this evening. I'll need, number one, your grace. Um, I need your grace. And number two, I'm going to need your attention span. Now, the cool thing, because I'm not Mark, we're going to probably have about 20 minutes of here and then we're going to be rolling back into worship. So short message, bonus. You guys can go out to eat afterwards, whatever you want to do. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you tonight for your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you that he saved me. I thank you, God, for your word. It's alive and it's active, and even now it's beginning to pierce hearts. God, I pray for my church family here, my brothers and my sisters in Christ, that you'd even now begin to open their ears and, and their eyes, that they would, they would see your word, they'd see you for who you are and the fullness of your character. And ultimately, God, that you would change us tonight to reflect the image of your son, Jesus. God, teach us. Use your servant, God. I myself speak clearly. God, filter anything that's not of you from me. I ask, I pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. If you guys have your Bibles, open with me to Matthew chapter 14. Can you all hear me? I'm a rookie at this, so if you can't, just start yelling at me or throw gang signs or something. Um, Matthew chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 22. Let me give you a little context. What's happening here, before we read the passage, um, Jesus has just learned of the death of John the Baptist. Okay? John the Baptist called out Herod for marrying his brother's wife, which by the law meant incest. And Herod didn't like that John was calling him out, and so he had his head cut off. And Jesus learns of it, and, and like any of us would, when we lose a close friend or a relative... He's mourning the loss of a friend. And so the Bible says that he's, he's escorted out of the city into the, into the lesser towns, the suburban area. And um, 
By this time in Jesus' ministry, he has a following of people. They recognize something's different about this guy. This guy's healing people, blind people are seeing, lame people are walking, something's different. So people are following Jesus. And the Bible says actually a a substantial crowd has followed him, about 5,000 men plus their wives and their children. And Jesus has compassion on them. So this is where he does the the amazing miracle of feeding them with five, five loaves and two fish. Not a bad way to start the day off, right? He feeds them. And then we come to our passage here. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way away from land, beaten by the waves. The wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. Alright, so, so here's what we got. Everybody just do me a favor for a second. Take off your like Christianese goggles. We, we've heard this story a million times. Jesus, the God-man, walking on water. This is crazy, okay? Jesus meets these guys on the Sea of Galilee. So what's happened is he's dismissing the crowds that he just fed. He says, guys, get in the boat. Go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and wait for me. Let's talk about the Sea of Galilee for a second. It's, a, it's, a, it's actually probably an overstatement to call it a sea. It's more like a lake. It's not real big. It's about four to five miles wide at its, its, at its largest point. Here's what makes the Sea of Galilee really, really unique. Uh, it's, a, it's a meteorological phenomenon. What you have is you have a, a lake. It's about 680 feet below sea level. And it's surrounded, semi-enclosed, by very tall cliffs, about 2,000 feet in height. Now, for those of you guys that have been on top of a mountain or a very tall hill, what's the climate like? It's cold, it's dry, it's windy, your lips get chapped, your skin chaps. Now, this is in stark contrast to the climate that's at the surface level. 680 feet below, this is the Mediterranean area, so it's almost a subtropical climate, very warm, very moist air. So for all you meteorologists, what happens when you get very dry, cool air overrunning very warm, moist air. You get crazy storm squalls. Okay, so what makes the Sea of Galilee very famous at this time, and even now, unpredictable, fast-moving, very violent storm squalls. So these guys are in the middle of the storm. The scripture says that in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. So your question is, okay, what's the fourth watch? The Roman military at this time had divided the evening hours into four separate watches. One, two, three, four. From 6 p.m. until 6 a.m., each watch is three hours long. So what's this mean? For, for Jesus to come to them in the fourth watch of the night means that they've, they've been battling a storm for almost nine hours. It means that it's between the hours of 3 and 6 a.m. Brandon, what are you getting at here? These guys are literally lost in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the night, in the middle of a huge storm. Though they probably don't recognize it at this point, and if you're taking notes, this is your first critical aspect of worship. The first critical aspect of worship that we have to understand, we must understand our insufficiency. We must understand our insufficiency. Why, this, why is this important in regards to worship, Brandon? I ask a lot of rhetorical questions of myself, so you guys just have to get used to that. Why do we need to understand our insufficiency? This is, this is weighty, so I'll say it again for you. Understanding our level of insufficiency sets the stage for worship. 
It dictates who we respond to and how we respond. Let me say it again. Understanding our level of insufficiency sets the stage for worship. It dictates who we respond to and how we respond to them. It's made manifest in verse 26. Follow along with me. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart. It's me. Don't be afraid. And Peter answered them, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus says, Come. And Peter gets out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Crazy stuff, man. Listen, the absence of another option in this scenario made the necessary response by Peter very clear. Think about it. You're in the middle of this storm, chaos. You've been battling it for hours, probably thinking you're going to die. Jesus, the the God-man, comes to you, not only just comes to you, but walks on water nonetheless. No big deal. And he says, come. You're not at that point going to say, dude, it's cool. Just like, go ahead, meet us on the other side. Order some sangrias. You know, we'll meet you there in a second when we've we've worked all this stuff out. Right? No. It's a dire situation. So the necessary response is very clear. We respond to His call. The second critical aspect of worship is we respond to His call. Here's the problem. What happens when, when it doesn't seem like there's, when it seems like there could be other options? What happens when it seems like we have another route to meet our insufficiencies, to meet our need? I need worth. I need to know that people like me, and so, and so I'm just going to go. I'm going to search out the hottest Christian girl I can find, and I'm going to date her, and everybody's going to think I'm awesome. It'll give me the self-worth. I'm lacking self-esteem, so I'll just go and work another 25 hours at work every week. We do all these things to try and meet our needs. A lot of you guys know my story, and if you don't, I'm going to tell you. I'm sorry if it's redundant for those of you guys that have heard it a hundred times. A couple of years ago, I went through a pretty intense time of depression. Pretty intense. Lost my grandfather, didn't know the Lord, and because I didn't understand the character of God, I didn't understand His Word, I allowed it to get to me pretty bad. Fell into a, a very deep state of depression, and to the, to the point where I thought, I have another out here. I really don't have to run to Jesus at this point, though he beckons us and he calls us. So I turned to the bottle. I would start buying alcohol and I would go home on my couch every night and just in the pit of despair, I'd stare at the ceiling and I'd drink like an idiot. The second that we think we have another response other than go to the one who calls us, it's the second we've really forgotten our insufficiency. Is our situation any different than the guys in the boat? Really, is it any different? David didn't seem to think so, and mind you, he's a king. He writes this in Psalm 40. He says this, As for me, I'm poor and needy, a king. But the Lord takes thought for me. You're my help and my deliverer. Don't delay, oh my God. Paul the Apostle gets it. He writes this in his first letter to Timothy. This thing is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Our need is great, and because of that, there's only one response. Go to the one who calls. If we understand that, if we understand how great our, 
our insufficiency is, we must go to Him. Moving on, verse 30, read with me. But when he saw the wind, they're still talking about Peter here, but when Peter seized the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why would you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you're the Son of God. Listen, the, the third and most pivotal aspect of worship is this. In response to his salvation, in response to what he's done, they declare who he is. Truly, you're the Son of God. The crux of worship is ultimately this. And we always want to label worship as all these different things, right? Like some people tell you, well, worship is just me going to church and corporately we sing songs together and that's, that's worship and, and we clap our hands and we do all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah, kind of. Other people take the more biblical route and they, and they quote the Romans 12 passage that we all know. Offer yourselves in as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is your spiritual act of worship. Yeah. It's true. Worship manifests itself in all these different areas, but the crux of worship is this. It's a recounting of the gospel. It's a recounting of the good news. Jesus gets into the boat and the storm has ceased. He's lifted Peter literally up out of deep water. And they say, truly you're the Son of God. And I imagine at that moment Peter's doing a couple things. Imagine as he's, as he's probably reverently on his knees saying, you're the Son of God. Or maybe he's shouting, I don't know, something crazy is going on. But as he's doing this, in his mind, he's remembering the good news. He's remembering the nine hours that he's battling the storm. He didn't have hope. He's remembering when Jesus showed up. I guarantee he's remembering when Jesus said, come out, come to me, Peter, come. And he remembers when he started to sink because he lost faith. He remembers when the Lord mercifully reaches in and he grabs his hand and he pulls him up. Is our situation any different? Church, I ask you again. Christian, Christ follower, believer, have you remembered the gospel? Do you remember what life was like before Jesus showed up? I do. I remember how insufficient I was. I remember my need. It was great. I remember losing hope. And then praise God, Jesus shows up. Right? Then Jesus showed up and He called me out. And he said, Brandon, come here. And so after He beckons, I go. I remember when in my sin and when I was in my, my lack of faith, I remember the times that even though I don't deserve it, the hand of mercy and grace reaches down and picks me up and says, Brandon, I have you. I've got you and I love you. And he pulls me up. Son of God's an interesting phrase here. Truly, you're the Son of God. It's the first time in Matthew they actually call Jesus the Son of God. They call him a lot of things, but it's the culmination of all these events that really merit this, this fullness of His character. You Truly, you're the Son of God. Here's what we need to get tonight. 
We're good at lip service, aren't we? We're so good at saying, God, you're this, or this is who you are, because we, maybe we've been raised in church and we hear it all the time. Son of God is important because it denotes authority. These guys aren't just saying you're the Son of God, but it's an acknowledgement of supreme authority given by God the Father. If you have all authority, then I what? I will obey you, I will serve you, I will love you, I'll listen to what you have to say. Tonight, I urge you, remember your insufficiency. Remember your insufficiency and how deep of a need we still have apart from Christ. And remember when He calls us, He beckons us to worship. Remember as He pulls us up from deep water. I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me for just a second. Guys are going to come up and we have just a couple more songs. It's, it's two songs. We have a chance to, to corporately gather and remember our great need. We have a chance to recount the gospel and how he saved us. And then respond. I love you guys. I hope we get it. I hope we get it. Let's pray. God, I know where you've brought me. I remember, God, the hopeless state that I was in. And I remember when you showed up. And I remember when you saved me. And I remember when you lifted me out of deep water too. God, perpetually, continually remind us of how much we need you. God, in the times when we don't, just put us flat on our face. God, tonight as a congregation, teach us what worshiping in spirit and truth is. God, we love you, we worship you because of what you've done and because of your great name. You're the Son of God, all authority in heaven given to you. We love you, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's worship.